0: I always start a project never at the beginning. I always start at the end. So I look at what I wanted to be and how I wanted to influence people, and then I work backwards from that. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Alex, good morning. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Always nice to connect with people in person. I obviously do a lot of interviews, but nothing quite beats being in a setting like this where we get to actually connect and sit down. And I'm actually really interested in hearing about what you've been doing over many decades at this stage. One of our mutual friends connected us and um, he's someone that we also really admire and respect. And he's just an awesome coach. He was on the podcast not long ago, actually. And whenever I do these podcasts, they can go many different ways, but I like the guest to lead. And one of the ways that I like to start the show is to really ask, like when people ask you, what do you do? What do you say? Like, how do you explain to people what you do? And that could be any person that you speak to in everyday life because before you answer, you've obviously got a million different things that you could say, but you probably have to summarize it down into something in order for people to get it and understand maybe what you do and um, what is your line of work. So, so how do you answer that question? Alex, very simply, I have
0: a standard line, and the line is, I'm a very odd bloke. <laughs> That's how I start. And the reason I start that... Um, with saying I'm an odd individual is because I've been afforded phenomenal opportunities as a personal trainer. That's my academic background, but I live in a world of spines and medical spines. So I look after everything and anything to do with the human spine from the neck to the thoracic spine, to the lumbar spine, to the, uh, uh, Periphery. And so essentially, uh, I work within the realms of spinal rehabilitation. That's what I do. And I look after everyone from pre operative patients, post operative patients. Uh, I triage people. So either I send them to surgeons, to pain consultants, I do their rehab for them, or in fact, I even send them to personal trainers who may be qualified to look after the ongoing programming that I will write for that particular patient. Uh, If, for example, they are not based in London, because this is where I'm I'm based, Um, and uh, some people come to me and they are under the care of their personal trainer and they just need some guidance as to what they can and cannot do with regard to their spines. So I'm an absolute spinophile. Everything and anything to do with a human spine, I'm absolutely obsessed with. Why spines? I broke my spine uh, as a young athlete. I fractured my spine. I, it was at that stage of my life that I started to seek out uh, any type of information. And we're talking a good 30 years ago. Uh, any type of information that I could receive regarding rehabilitation of the spine and how to look after my own spine. It was at that stage that I came across Professor Stuart McGill, who I'm sure both you and many of your uh, listeners are familiar with. And uh, I met Stu about 20 years ago and my life changed. And
1: I just became completely obsessed with the human spine. You said you obviously had your own situation that you were trying to figure out I know you've got a background in bodybuilding and karate. Mm-hmm. Was it in one of those fields that this was caused? I think it was a combination of both. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, It was a
0: combination of both. So I had, uh, I had started martial arts at a very young age. I was, uh, an early specializer. So by the time I was 11, 12 years old, uh, I was karate seven days a week three hours a day that's intense uh, oh it was smart it was my life I as I'm sure you've gathered very early on I'm I'm a highly intense individual yeah quite so obsessive
1: when you get into I things. am
0: so if, if I get involved in something I'm extremely obsessed about it and uh, so I was obsessed about martial arts and I must have started to pick up spinal pathologies very early on in my life during my adolescent years but as a kid what do you do you sort of brush it off it's a bit of back pain Who cares, I'm gonna get back on the karate floor because I had a goal to achieve. Hmm. And uh, I then did my bodybuilding show and it was after the bodybuilding show that I really started to feel severe pain in my back. And that's when I knew at that stage I needed to do some further investigation to find out what was going on. And I exposed myself to my first MRI and as as I say, this was you know thirty years ago, and uh, they picked up a fracture in my spine, which was something that couldn't heal naturally uh, and I either had to look after it conservatively or I needed to go for surgery. Uh, surgery at that stage was not an option, and uh,
1: I thank my lucky stars that I met Stu McGill were you doing karate? or martial arts and bodybuilding at the same time? Or did you move on to bodybuilding after doing martial arts?
0: Good question, no one's ever actually asked me that. And uh, there's a lot of information to be revealed when you ask a question like that. Uh, I had done martial arts um, exclusively. I do a little bit of strength training over my years to assist me with, within my martial arts. So I always had a love of lifting weights, but um, I never got to the point of where the weight training itself would interfere with my performance as a martial artist. It would complement my performance. Um, I then went through a little bit of a life-changing situation um, at that stage of my life, and I needed something different. So I had made a very conscious decision to stop martial arts for two years and dedicate my life, obviously obsessively, uh, to understanding the world of bodybuilding with the intention of finally competing in, at that stage, Mr. Johannesburg, or now Mr. Gauteng. and uh, And that's what I did. So I took two years off from the martial arts to completely dedicate my life to bodybuilding because I wanted to eat, sleep, live, breathe, Everything with regards to bodybuilding Um, one of the goals Alex was as a trainer at that stage I never wanted anyone to walk into my facility and say to me I Can't train with you because you don't know what it's like to train a bodybuilder or you don't know what it's like to diet or you don't know what it's like to you know train yourself to the absolute extreme so I always like to think that my career has afforded me the opportunity to be a guinea pig on myself because one of my goals was I would never give a client anything, whether it was nutritional advice, whether it was training advice or even an exercise, if I myself hadn't done it or put
1: myself through it. What was the experience like of training to be a bodybuilder? Amazing. I loved it. Absolutely loved it.
0: It was probably two years of the most glorious and um, joyous training that I've ever had. Um, I had my business partner, who was my – him and I owned a gym in South Africa, a private training gym. He's about 13, 14 years my senior. So he was a mentor, uh, very smart individual, extremely, extremely smart, uh, very knowledgeable. And he had won uh, Mr. South Africa uh, as a bodybuilder many years prior to me competing. So he guided me and helped me. So beside him being my business partner, my mentor in the world of strength and conditioning, he was also my training partner. Um, So it was a very, um, this sounds crazy, Alex, um, it was a very religious experience for me. It was, uh, it went beyond just bicep curls.
1: It was a phenomenal growth period in my career. And how did you feel, right, once you've done the competition? Did you feel like, okay, I've I've ticked the box and now it's on to the next thing? Like, what, what was that feeling afterwards? Well,
0: again, interestingly, um, I had won my section at Mr. Joe at Mr. Johannesburg. And they had given me an entry into the nationals. So I could now compete nationally. And I wasn't convinced that I wanted to do it. So I took took about a month off just to think about things. I'm quite cerebral before I make any decisions. And I, I was thinking about it. And I thought, "Mm, you know what, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for the nationals. And I went back into training, and unfortunately, my back started to get really bad. And so my back put a stop to me continuing the bodybuilding, which wasn't such a bad thing because I had achieved what I set out to achieve in the bodybuilding. I never had set my heart on competing nationally. I wanted to, as a non performance-enhancing drug user, so I was completely clean. Uh, And by the way, that's not me pointing fingers at anyone. Um, That was just my choice at that stage. I wanted to compete naturally in a competition where I knew the other individuals may or may not be using PEDS. I did that. I won the competition. I was in the best shape of my life. I had achieved what I needed to do. It was time to move on. And the back made that decision
1: very clear. So obviously this this back is now leading you on a journey and into a deeper path of discovery and research and collaboration. What happens next then? I meet up with a very famous neurosurgeon in Johannesburg because
0: I, at this stage, I've got a very, very cursory amount of knowledge on the lumbar spine. I don't really know like what I know now. And, uh, I was, I was very much a, 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 a talented strength and conditioning coach. Uh, I had trained Olympic athletes, medalists. So I, I knew what I was doing in the gym. However, I wasn't very up to date on the lumbar spine. So I went to go see a neurosurgeon and I'll never forget this. It's as clear as daylight. And I went into his office and we sat down and he looked at my scans, at my MRIs. And he said, I'd like to just do one or two tests. So he stood me up in very, very sort of clandestine, simple tests uh, and basic. And he said to me, walk on your tiptoes and then walk on your heels, which are two neurological tests that we do. And I had a little bit of a hard time walking on my heels, specifically with my left foot. And then we sat down and he said to me, he said, so what do you do? So I said, I'm a personal trainer. So he said, well, what does that mean? So I said, well, I help people, I train them in the gym. That's so interesting
1: that he asked you, what does that mean? We're going back 30 years in South Africa. So interesting, right? There was a world before personal training. Oh yeah,
0: oh yeah. So I, I told him and he said to me, he said, look, he said, I'm gonna tell you exactly what's gonna happen. He said, I suggest you give up what you're doing and go find a desk-based job. He said, because if you don't, he said within one year you will be back here and either you will be in a wheelchair or you will be lucky enough for me to give you a a surgical procedure. And I looked at him and I leaned forward over the desk and I put my hand out and I said, I'm not going to say his name. I've got it very etched in my brain. And I put my hand out and I said, sir, I greatly appreciate your opinion. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Stood up,
1: I walked out of the office, and that's when my research started. I feel like him saying that to you was a blessing. Oh, it was wonderful. Because I've known you for best part of 30 minutes, and I can already tell from the way that you are that that probably just lit a fire under you, and you are like, you know what, I'm going to actually prove this person wrong not from a place of negativity maybe it was I don't know at that age but you were like you know what I'm going to prove this person wrong or I'm going to prove that I can solve this Uh, it was it was
0: a motivating conversation for me to further my knowledge and my understanding on how I could potentially defeat uh what was claimed to be the inevitable Mm. um I like a challenge. Uh, I don't have any negative thoughts toward him. Um, I wish him the absolute best, and I'm sure he's so wonderful, or was, he's probably retired now, I'm sure he was a wonderful neurosurgeon. Uh, but um, it's allowed me,
1: that was the, the beginning of my journey. So where do you go after that then? So you leave the doctor's office, you've got this conversation that you've just had, you're reflecting on the conversation. Do you simply just go straight home, start doing research? Do you call people like, what What do you do? What, what happens next? The first thing uh, uh, to the best of my recollection is I
0: spoke to my business partner, Mark. Uh, Mark was very much my, um, he, was, he was one of the closest people in my life. And uh, at that stage we, we spoke and I said, listen, this is the diagnosis. Mm. Uh, This is the prognosis Um, and uh, I'm not living with that. It was that year, it was 2004, Alex. I distinctly remember that. Uh, There were some um, personal things happening in my life at that stage. And every year from 1996, to 2004, my business partner Mark and I went to the NSCA conference in the United States. Over an eight year period, I think we were the only two South Africans who went there because at that stage, South Africa was, you know, um, we'd just come out of uh, apartheid rule and uh, there were a whole host of things that didn't allow international travel to be very easy. So we made a pact, Mark and I, that every single year, uh, we would go and educate ourselves at the NSCA conference. And from 96 to 2004, the NSCA conference was amazing, absolutely amazing. I don't know what it's like now. I'm out of the world of strength and conditioning. I don't even know if they still have an annual conference. But um, it, uh, we, we learned so much and, and picked up so much. Uh, it was incredible. And that year, um, I couldn't go for personal reasons, I just couldn't make uh, the conference. So Mark went, as, as he always did, and uh, this was after my consult with the neurosurgeon, it was about a month afterwards, and he came back from the conference, and uh, it was our first day, or his first day back at work, and he, he came up to me and he said, Jolie, he said, um, I saw the best keynote speech that I've seen at any NSCA conference over the last eight years. And I said, who was that, Mark? And he goes, a guy by the name of Professor Stuart McGill. And he said, I bought you his book. And he pulled out from his backpack the very first edition of Low Back Disorders. I've still got it. And he threw it on my desk and he said, Joel, this is for you. Just read this. And I opened the book, Alex, and I'll never forget I thought. My God, I, I don't understand a single thing that's that's in here. You know, I'm coming from a world of S and C. This guy's coming from a world of spinal biomechanics, and I was like, wow. And I paged through that book, and I read a little bit, and I put it down, and simulated a little bit of the information, and absorbed it, and went back to it. And uh, it took me about eighteen months to work my way through that book. And uh, in 2006, I immigrated here, and uh, in April of 2006, and in December of 2006, I met Stu in person here in London,
1: and uh, that was that. So you get this book, right? Sounds like quite an intimidating book for someone picking it up for the first time. How do you not get discouraged when you pick up a book that seems quite intense to read and complicated and very alien to you compared to what you're used to coming from an S&C background and have the commitment to work through it and uh, and finish the book? Where did that come from? Sometimes, Alex, when you're not so smart
0: and you don't have too many thoughts running around your head. You just do. So I didn't sit there and debate, is this something I want to do? I can't work through this. It's too hard. You just do it. You just get on. My, my whole life I've had the attitude of, as Nike used to say, just do it. And uh, I know it's cliched, but that's just who I am. Um, and if that was my path, things I believe happen Uh, or opportunities are given to you in life and you need to either take them or you miss them. And I believe that there was an opportunity that was given to me at the right time because how come I had back issues? I'd spoken to Mark. He went to the NSCA conference. He came back. He gave me this book. And I had the choice to either allow the book to intimidate me or for me to enhance my skill set and work on the neuroplasticity of the little thing that's between my ears. So, that's what
1: I did. So you have the meeting with the author of this incredible book that you've spent time going through and digesting. What was that first in-person meeting like? Oh man, there was like you know, there was like me
0: meeting uh, Tom Cruise or you know like some a celebrity. superstar. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and I'll never forget. Uh, it's a long story between how, how Stu and I met and maybe for another time, but he, we engaged with each other at this conference and he said to me, Joel, come, I've got a few minutes, I can sit and have a beer with you. And we sat down at the Hilton Hotel in in, in central London and we sat down and uh, we had a beer and he said, I've got about five minutes, I'm tired, I want to go to my room and relax And I said, sure, no problem at all. I said, I've literally got two or three questions for you. And uh, five minutes turned into three hours. We sat there at the bar for three hours. Uh, We then um, spoke further, and uh, that's it, 20 years down the line. And, you know, I speak to Stu every two days, you know, or every day or whenever I can. And I'm one of only two people in the world who teach for
1: him. That's incredible. To me, that sounds like the uh, the saying, preparation meets opportunity. Like, you were prepared when this individual was there in front of you. You'd spent all this time digesting his work so that you could have an intelligent conversation about what it is that he spent his life cultivating and preparing. And I think there must have been a level of respect for that from him where he said, "Hey." this guy's really taken some time to really understand my work and, um, and come here prepared.
0: I, Alex, I, I would have to say that he would probably echo your sentiments there. Um, and I'm not saying that again. Um, I, I'm very humbled by where I am in life. So I'm not saying it with any form of arrogance whatsoever. However, um, Stu and I have had multiple very in-depth conversations before and uh, um, uh, he plays a significant role in my life Um, but I made sure that I was not ever going to either embarrass him or myself by wasting his time when I sat with him at that meeting. I read low back disorders from cover to cover nonstop for 18 months. So I knew that when I sat with Stu McGill, if I ever, ever was given that opportunity, or rather if I was ever lucky enough to create that opportunity, um, that it was not going to be a waste of his time. I'm highly respectful of individuals who are willing to give me a minute or two minutes of their time. And on that basis, um, I did my I
1: did my due diligence, so and that's where we are today. So this is, must have set off a chain reaction in your life and business. Once you've met, you've had this conversation, you've understood his work. That must now start transpiring into the way that you do things, for the research that you do yourself, your practices, businesses. Like, how does it impact things going forward? Now you're you're on this path and. You're really drilling into this area. Well, funny enough, I didn't. I didn't have a very dramatic
0: change very early on after meeting Stu, and one of the reasons being is I'd just newly emigrated into the United Kingdom. Mm. and uh, I was very much in the world and immersed in the world of personal training. That's what I was doing. And uh, so I had established myself over the year that I'd been here. As a personal trainer in Northwest London, I was very fortunate enough within a very short period of time to have a thriving business. I was really, really busy. Um, and uh, I had to put that ahead of everything else because I needed to earn a living. Bread and butter. It's bread and butter. Yeah. Um, and, and these were just general clients, general. Just population. general clients, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I, I'd always, I'd always, always, I, I, I don't, I'd never specialised in body transformation. I had always specialised in some element of injury rehab. That mm-hmm. had just been my, my gig um, from day one. So people would come and see me and say, ah, oh, you know, I want to train, but I've got a sore knee or I've got a sore shoulder or a sore back. Um, so that really was my my. Client uh, population group. Um, people didn't come to me if, you know, they wanted to uh, transform for a wedding. It, it was not something that I, you know, I enjoyed or, or did. Anyway, um, so I was doing my personal training, and about two weeks after meetings, do, I get an email. From him, and he goes, Joel, um, we'd already communicated beforehand, but this was about two weeks after he'd gone back. And he said, Listen, I've got an inquiry from an individual, I think in Manchester it was, uh, who's got a bad back. He goes, Can I send him to you? And I'm like, Well, you can, Stu. You know, it's, 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 but I'm just going to apply everything that, that you've taught me and what I've learned from low back disorders. And he goes, yeah, just, he said, it doesn't sound like a really complex case, Mm. but just see what you can do. Anyway, this um, gentleman came down from Manchester to see me in London and uh, I spent, you know, a couple of hours with him and just going through just the real basics of, spine hygiene and how to move and you know what hurts you what doesn't hurt you i, I wasn't I, I did not have the ability to uh assess spinal pathology or, or or spinal dysfunction rather like i do these days so it was a very very basic thing and it just so happened that um what i gave him was the resolution i think i was just very lucky i don't think it was skill and um, he emailed Stu back after about three months of going through this program that I'd given him. And he said, Stu, I'm pain free. And he said, Thank you for sending me to Joel. He said it was the best thing ever. And that was that. Then Stu started sending people.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Before you go any further, with that patient that came to you, or client that came to you, obviously he was based up in Manchester. London's two and a half hours away, he must have come down to see you or you went to see him, whatever. Was he physically coming down each week to see you or did you just prescribe a plan for him to follow? No, I prescribed a plan for him to follow and then we would catch up over the phone or via email. What year was this? 2007. So, interestingly, you could class that as hybrid online coaching. Pretty because. Much essentially he came to you in person yeah for the initial meet which Correct. is the in-person element then he's off doing it on his own and you're just chatting over the phone that's so all we're doing Matt? that's hybrid email online coaching that was 2007 2007 before before Zoom. really any of that existed yeah we didn't before even online have coaching Skype was a thing
0: or, yeah yeah absolutely
1: well that was before instagram yeah yeah. yeah yeah crazy right 2007 okay so you get more of these referrals come through I do, I get more of these referrals come through and primarily
0: now from London. uh, And um, I'm now starting to sort of, you know, uh, cut my skill within the world of spines. And I realize that a little bit of knowledge is very dangerous. Why so? Because you think you know a lot And then you realize that um, when you start being being presented with cases that fall out of your knowledge bandwidth, now what do you do? So there were certain cases that I just couldn't take on. And I worked very closely with a physiotherapy group here in London, and I'd speak to them and learn from them, and I'd phone Stu. And then all of a sudden – Alex, it just was a natural, organic evolution that every single day I was either reading books about spine, spinal rehab, uh, going back to low back disorders. And then what I decided to do, this was in 2007, I had committed myself to following Stu around the world and going to every single course that I could afford the same course that he taught at that stage, right? But I wanted to go and do the course and get to understand it so well that I was extremely confident with that bowl of knowledge. So it started in February, I believe, February or March of 2007. Stu came to teach a course in Edinburgh, and I landed up at the course. And that's really when Stu and I hooked up, right? Because I was there for the whole weekend. It was the first course that I'd done. I'd never done a course with him. I'd done his, you know, I was at a conference that he spoke at. It was only an hour's lecture in 2006. So I did his course in 2007. I must've done it three or four times that year. Um, was it the same course you were going over? Same course. Why are we doing it over and over though? as I said previously, because I wanted to become so familiar with the knowledge. And also what happens is, as you enhance and evolve as a practitioner, the same course will be presented
1: differently in your own head. So interesting you say that. Me and my girlfriend were actually uh, traveling to the Cotswolds uh, a couple of days ago, and we were talking about books. And she had a philosopher. Uh, school and he said to her and this is something i've heard elsewhere now again today that when you first read a book that book is that book but when you read it again that book is different because you are different correct you're constantly changing you're getting exposed to new ideas new principles new philosophies and so the eyes that you see it through and the brain that you read it with is different right Mm. and you're exposed to new things and it's the same with even just a netflix series if you watch it once you notice certain things you watch it again you can notice completely different things so when i asked you that question it was pretty loaded because i know the answer but i was just curious as to your oh, take yeah. as to going over the things multiple multiple times because i do it with my clients too i'm like guys you've heard this before but the reason we're doing it again is because it is important we don't always need new information we need to understand the existing information better and deeper it's
0: all our, and you know alex I, I get I don't really get personal trainers inquiring with me anymore, but I, I used to a lot, and they always wanted to mentor and learn with me. And they'd say, you know, Joel, what you know, give give me five courses that I should go do this year, and I'm like, no, 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 five's too many. I said, choose one and do it every single year for the next five years. And I said, you will gain so much from that course because you will evolve as a practitioner or as a trainer. And that's what I did. I was not interested in going to do a multitude of different courses and a whole host of things. I wanted to become so in tune with Stu's work that um, I could apply it to as many different cases as I was seeing. And that's what I did. And I think from 2007 to 2000 and 15, I think I did Stu's courses, so what's that, over seven years? I think I did his, the same course, because at that stage, he only had one course, called Building the Ultimate Back. Um, I did it in excess of 13 or 15 times, that same course. Um, And uh, eventually, you know, I got to the point after, I think about my eighth or ninth time, like, Stu wasn't even charging me. He'd just say, you know, come to the course and, you know, just come in, you know, you know, maybe you can help me in the practical and whatever else. And then in 2015, in September, he came to teach in, uh, in Dublin. And uh, he called me and he said, listen, I'm going to be in Dublin. I said, great, I'll, I'll see you at the course, because that was just my modus operandi at that stage. And he said, no, he said, I actually want you to come and teach with me. So I said, all right, I said, I'll land in Dublin a, a day before. And I said, you need to help me with you know, what, what you want me to teach. I've never taught the stuff before. So he said, yeah, he said, but you know it as well as I do. So I arrived there and he gave me some time to teach the practical. I didn't teach any of the, the theoretical stuff. And that was my first time teaching for Stu. And there was that. And then all of a sudden, I became involved in Backfoot Pro uh, we decided that we were now gonna do three courses because there was too much stuff over a period of two days. Too intense. Too, way too intense, so we then developed McGill one, McGill two, and McGill three. And do um,
1: people ascend up through the levels? They have yes. to do them in order. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, they, they don't have to, but it's- It's, it's advised. It's advised. And, uh, and now that's what we have today. We've got you know the McGill Summit. Um, And uh, it's myself and my very esteemed colleague, uh, Dr. Ed Cambridge, who is Stu's top PhD pupil. And Ed and I have been given the honor of the only two individuals in the world uh, allowed to teach Stu stuff.
1: And we teach with him. So that's what we do. So when you do the teaching, do you, are you always present with him or do you do like solo presentations and lectures around those things? No, I'll do solo stuff as well. Just the different conventions and conferences or your own events? No, no, it's, it's, it's different,
0: you know, uh, conferences and and events. And uh, sometimes I'll do my own stuff, but um, I'm always, always standing on Stu's shoulders. Always. I uh, represent him um, so when I'm out there uh, I represent him and backfoot Pro and uh, and myself um, and I've got my own courses as well I do my own stuff as well which is more sort of either toward the pre or post operative stuff which we don't cover at backfoot Pro because I'm very involved in spinal surgery massively um, and uh, but the McGill under the McGill guys uh, Stu doesn't travel, and teach as much as he used to. He's he's sort of retiring now. And uh, so Ed and I have taken the reins and Ed and I usually uh,
1: are doing the shows together. You mentioned two of your own courses. Did you mention two that that you've created yourself? I've
0: got a few different courses that I've I've done. I've I've taught uh, courses um, to trainers, Mm. um, specifically um, called Deconstructing the Deadlift and Squat and how it applies the spine, um, because the deadlift and the squat are two exercises that sig- can significantly and negatively change a client's life with regards to their back. So I believe trainers need to understand the mechanics. They need to understand the anatomy of how people need to deadlift and squat differently. Um, So I did that and I taught that uh, exclusively for Equinox gyms in the United States and here uh, for
1: about three years prior to the pandemic. Where did that decision come from to do it exclusively with Equinox? How did that come about?
0: Um, That came through uh, a very dear friend of mine. Who was involved in Equinox, and when Equinox opened here, they opened their first gym in Kensington. Uh, this was back in, oh, probably two thousand sixteen. Um, they were looking for local trainers to teach education to their trainers at King in at the Kensington branch, and my friend, who's very involved with them, said you've got to contact Joel. So they asked me to. A presentation at, in Kensington. I did a presentation. Um, I created this this course, and the feedback came came in, and I got superb feedback. And they said, Joel, we haven't had feedback like this across our clubs, even in the United States. Um, can we trial you out in New York? I said, sure. They flew me to New York. I talked in New York in 2018, I think it was, uh, or, or 2017. And uh, New York was a tough audience. Feedback came in, and I think my feedback score was 98 or 99%, and they then called me from head office in California, uh, where the education stuff is, and they said, Joel, they said, with feedback like this, we want you, over the next five years, to teach at every Equinox across the United States. So Equinox flew me out, I was on a plane between that and the McGill courses, between 2017 and 2020, uh, I was literally on a plane, I would say, Alex, every two to three weeks, flying the world. I, had, I, I went from not having one air mile in 2017 to literally being a gold card holder by, you know, with, within, I think, 18 months. That's how much flying and teaching I did around
1: the world. Amazing. Mm. The course creation. I'm interested in that in terms of like your process specifically. So you've developed these courses. You're obviously presented it to Equinox. They like the idea. You then go deliver it. They love it. They want you to do more of it. But what was like the inception of that course? Like, how do you formulate it? How do you build it? How do you structure it? What's your like decision-making process? I'm just very curious about that. Simple, begin with the end in
0: mind. And I'll take that from Stephen Covey. Um, I always start a project never at the beginning, I always start at the end. So I look at what I want it to be and how I want it to influence people, and then I'll work backwards from that. Uh, if, I, if I start at the beginning, my brain doesn't work that way. If I start at the beginning, I, w- I won't get off the f- the the start line um so i've got to see the end product I have to visualize the end product i've got to visualize uh how the people respond to it I'm very very tactile and very um, visual in that respect you know i've got to i've got to sit there and i've got to taste in my mouth what the result is if you follow what i'm saying and if I can do that I can then put everything together, then it's very simple for me because, and especially now I can create a course within, you know, within a couple of hours purely because um, I lecture often. Um, I'm an associate professor at, uh, at UCL. Uh, they granted me that honor. Uh, that's the University College of London. Uh, they granted me that honor to be part of their, pain management master's course, the MSC. So I lecture on that course a few times a year um, about spinal biomechanics. And um, so I've got a lot of material. My hard drive is full of stuff. So it's very easy for me to piece things together. I see real patients six days a week. I've got case after case after case on my computers. Um, I've got MRIs, I've got CT scans. I can talk to you about osteoporotic fractures, uh, peripheral neuropathies, um, people that have hurt themselves doing kettlebell swings, 45-degree leg presses, um, deadlifts. I can show you real live deadlifting injuries, um, squat injuries. So I've got so much content that if you tell me who the audience is, I'll hone it in and work
1: back from that. And do you have a formula for teaching? So you obviously talk about having the end in mind, which is where you're trying to take the audience. But do you have like a set formula of, this is how I begin the introduction of the idea. This is how I then am able to pl- practically like teach it and it, and transfer the, the knowledge or the understanding. And this is how I really cement that understanding and knowledge, they leave and they, they get it? Like, do you have like a specific framework or formula to that? I've got a thought process
0: mm. more than a specific framework. I've got a thought process. I'm a systems man. So I, I need, I like to, uh, to have it in stages, right? And I, when I present, I'll even present the most complex stuff in the most simple way. I am not a complex presenter. I don't try and use fancy narratives and words and n- none of that because people don't learn from that. People learn when it's simple and when it's systems. So yeah, I do have a system. Um, I don't have it written down. It's in my head. Um, that's how I work. Um, I'm high, My head is highly discombobulated. There's a whole bunch of stuff, but I can pick and choose from inside here and lay it down in systems on a piece of paper. And so that's what I do. Um, I always want people to walk away from my courses understanding everything. So again, if I'm teaching to personal trainers, which I haven't done in in quite a few years, um, I understand that their anatomical knowledge of the human spine may be very basic. So I will then have to involve them in understanding a little bit more about the role of a spinal disc versus the role of a spinal vertebra. Um, I may need to teach them uh, what nerves do and where the nerves originate from and how they exit the spine and how come uh, if people have got pain in their foot and no back pain, that can indicate that that's quite a severe pathology in your back. Mm. So, so again, depending on who my audience is. Um, however, I was having a glass of wine with my surgeon three nights ago, and he said, "Joel, he goes, I need you to speak at a medical conference in April." He said, "We've got you've got twenty minutes to speak about spinal biomechanics to surgeons and physicians." I said perfect. And I said, um, Cole, what I'm going to do, his name's Colin. I said, Cole, what I'm going to do is I'm going to break it down very, very simply. So even speaking to doctors, medics, physicians, um, I'm going to speak to them, not to insult their intelligence, but I'm going to speak to them as though I'm speaking to my children, Mm. because I want them to understand this very clearly, very concisely. I've no need to impress them with anything. I'm there to teach. And if they walk away with more knowledge, that means I've achieved my goal as a teacher.
1: I resonate a lot with that. I heard a quote a long time ago, which goes like this. Complexity is the enemy of action. Oh, absolutely. And when we make things too complicated, then actually, much harder to action or implement or do the thing. And um, James Clear, actually, you'll probably be familiar with mm-hmm. his work because you mentioned systems. He's a he's a, a great systems example, right? Is creating systems for everything. But one thing that I really appreciate about him and what you just said is just keeping things simple. It doesn't have to be complicated, and the effectiveness is down to the simplicity. And every technological advancement is how do we make things simpler, easier, more convenient for, for people involved who are using this thing or doing this thing, and I love that. Alex, my life is that, right? Every single day,
0: I have an individual who is mentally and physically distressed because of chronic, severe back pain, and they come to my office, and it's the same thing every day, and I'll, it's guaranteed, Joel, I do not know what's going on. I've seen doctors, I've seen physicians, I've seen physios, I've seen caros. No one can tell me what is going on. So now, I have to take a phenomenally complex situation, cause spines are complex, pain is complex, and I need to break it down very simply for them. So I hone my teaching skill every day. So whether I'm lecturing, whether I'm presenting, whether I'm with a patient, Uh, whether I'm, you know, uh, whatever I'm doing, it's all the same thing, just different environments. And that's why I have a little bit of a problem with individuals who are either in the personal training industry who say, you know, they want to rehab backs. Well, what are you doing more of? Are you doing more of personal training or are you doing more of rehabbing backs, right? Because you're not gonna be able to rehab backs at the highest level. You may get, you know, a few people better, okay? But you need to make that decision, right? Are you a rehab specialist or are you a personal trainer? Now, if you're a personal trainer and you are expanding your knowledge to understand about spines, that's different, that's wonderful, so that you can train people more safely and better, I get that. But you, you are what you do the most of, right? So I specialize in taking highly complex situations and filtrating them down into their most simple pieces so that people can digest that. And um, that's really now where my skill is. You know, um, I, I'm able to, someone can, Tell me what their presentation of pain is straight away. In my head, I'm, um, I've got so much experience now that I am able to pull out from the toolbox straight away. Ah, I've seen that client, or I heard Stu talk about that, or I saw that in a course. Um, so you need patience, and you need years of experience. You know, I always laugh when a young, twenty or uh, twenty. One year old kid tells me that, you know, they're a specialist in rehab. I'm like, really? I'm near, I'm close to fifty years old, man, and I'm just started my learning journey. <laughs> when did you open your facility Before here in Rx? London? Performance yeah. RX. I opened Performance RX in uh, June of 2015.
1: Where did that decision come from?
0: That decision came from the fact that uh, I was kicked out of my last gym. Um, and I needed my own studio, so um your hand was forced, <laughs> yeah, but I was always
1: looking for my in own a, studio. in a good way yeah, yeah yeah
0: yeah and 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 again, probably one of my strengths, alex, is that um I have the most i don't know where I get it from, probably my parents or my mom specifically, I have the most uh what's the word i'm looking for um interesting ability to never be rattled if I need to start again. I'll start again a million times, it makes no difference to me. So, so what I mean by that is I had a gym and the landlord did some bad dealings with me and they kicked me out of this gym and I'd built it up phenomenally well in St. John's Wood. And uh, I went from being extremely busy on Monday morning to Monday evening being told that I've got four weeks to pack my bags and leave the place all my trainers um and i was like okay start again so it, it doesn't bother me at all um and on it served me well
1: served me well it's been an amazing conversation appreciate you coming down and having a conversation with me and um if uh coach kavanagh is listening to this want to I want to acknowledge him and and just say how grateful i am for for connecting us and putting us in touch and for anyone that's listening in on this conversation who wants to find out more about your work who hasn't discovered it already where would they go and find more alex the easiest is
0: performancerx.co.uk and i say that because i do have an instagram account but hand on heart I'm not a social media person, I'm really not. Firstly, I don't have the clients uh, who I'm able to highlight on social media, right? It's, it's not visual. It, it, it's people, uh, I can't, you know, I, I live in a medical world now. So I'm very respectful.
1: Yeah, and confidential.
0: Yeah, very much. I'm, and I'm very respectful of, of uh, who I deal with and, and, and the honor that has been bestowed upon me in, in, in my work. So um, I, I do a little bit of social media stuff. You may find me on Instagram, I've got some stuff there. But the easiest way to get hold of me is performancerx.co.uk. Awesome,
1: we'll put that in the show notes. Appreciate you coming down.
0: Alex, lovely to talk to you, thank you very much. And uh, I must echo your sentiments. Uh, I thank uh, Justin Kavanagh as well. Um, he's a very dear friend and uh, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure to meet you through him. So. Thank you. Good luck with uh, whatever you do. Appreciate it, man.